This is the Yada Yada Podcast, where we get to the heart of the Christian sexual ethic with biblical truths and real talk about sex, purity, and relationships. We're your hosts, Ashley and Amber from Across My Heart Ministries. Welcome to Yada Yada. Today's episode, we are going to tackle the hot topic of modesty. And it might seem like, how are you going to spend an entire episode on modesty? But there's so much to cover. It is a loaded topic and something that people have a lot of opinions about. So it requires a lot of intentionality to make sure that we're communicating or we're articulating properly what is in our hearts and what we believe is on the heart of God. Yeah. So out of all these episodes, you'd think that like, an episode about sex would make me more uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> but it's actually this conversation mm-hmm. because it's so easy to misspeak, to come across as judgmental, and to just convey the wrong message. Um, and so I'm I'm nervous, <laughs> uh, but I believe we have some really good material to share with you. And we're sharing not only from our hearts, but we're sharing what we truly believe is God's heart yep. on the topic. Because modesty is not man's idea. Modesty is God's idea, and it's something he calls us to in his word. In fact, God was God was kind of the first fashion designer in scripture. Uh, yeah, at, at least the first successful one. <laughs> yes, that's true. Adam and Eve's um, fig leaf fashion line was not a success. Uh, nope. <laughs> so God says, hey, let me... Uh, let me come up with some designer <laughs> clothes that are actually going to do the job for you here. All right. So I think one of the reasons this topic can be so... Uh, polarizing. Div- yeah, polarizing, divisive, is because we make the clothes the issue mm. rather than the motivation behind them. Mm. Rather than the heart. We look. At- Wait, we look at the outward appearance yes. instead of looking at the heart it's like there's a bible verse about that the seductive tight-fitting clothes aren't actually the true problem it's the heart behind them the heart that says i don't care what god has to say about my body hmm. and if you've listened to any of our other episodes one of the things that we try to incorporate into our understanding of purity and sexuality is a theology of the body that shows God's good design for the body and how connected our bodies are to our whole person. Yep. And so what we do with our bodies matter. It does. It matters to God and it should matter to us. So what we put on them also matters. (laughs) Right. Because it reflects something about our hearts. God cares about it all. And he wants what's best for us in all areas of life. And, you know, modesty is about so much more than the clothes that are hanging in our closet. Um, because the clothes that we put on our bodies, are the they're the first thing that people see. And as women, I think this is especially true. Like, how many times when you see your girlfriend walk in the room, like your friend that you're hanging out with, and you're just like, hey, girl, and you compliment on her outfit right away? That is... That is quite often if she's wearing something I like. Cute shoes. Nice sweater. Yeah. And we say it. We tell them. We do. I like your earrings. Just pay attention this week to how many of your encounters with your female friends are about complimenting articles of clothing. It's an astounding number. Just just like open your eyes to that awareness and you're going to realize that we 
are drawn to the statement that we're making with the clothes that we wear. Yeah, we're paying attention. Yeah, we're paying attention. And it, it does say something about who you are. Like, people can identify you based on what you're wearing oftentimes. Think about the majority of our lives we spend wearing uniforms of one kind or another. Yeah, with from your workplace. Like a nurse. Mm-hmm. You know, when they're in their scrubs, where they work, what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, police officer. Fireman. Even even uniforms that are more subtle. Like, I feel like teachers have a certain way they dress. <laughs> it's like business casual. Yeah, business casual. But colorful a lot of times instead of like the business suit that you maybe see in an office. Yeah. Yeah. If it's really colorful, you're like, oh, you're an elementary school teacher. Yeah. So our, our clothes say something about who we are and make an impression. And so we have to consider when we're getting dressed in the morning, can someone by looking at what I'm wearing, see that I'm not just dressing for myself, but that I'm dressing out of honor for God? Do our clothes communicate that we serve the Lord first? Mm-hmm. Are they just drawing attention to ourselves are they drawing attention to something about us that is greater than just us, our God? That's uh, something to think about mm-hmm. when you get dressed in the morning. And I think it, it kind of taps into the two different intentions that modesty has. There's a physical intention behind modesty and an emotional intention behind modesty. Because there's a lot more going on inside than what the people see on the outside, than Mm. even the impression that our clothes make. But God can always see what's happening inside of our hearts. And so we need to be dressing in ways that honor God, honor our body, and honor others. So we're going to talk about those three components throughout the episode, honoring God, honoring our bodies, and honoring others. Now, does this mean that we have to wear like potato sacks something that never compliments your figure i mean that's that's not the perception that i have no because god gave us our bodies as a gift and so part of honoring our bodies is is treating them well mm-hmm. not to be dressing them in like ugly garbs of <laughs> frumpy clothing in fact the um definition the the dictionary definition of the word modesty is just it means moderate And so you're not dressing in a way that's like so flashy or seductive that you're just drawing attention to yourself. But you're also not dressing in a way that's so frumpy and hideous that you're drawing attention to yourself in that way. Uh Like to be moderate is to actually um, kind of be in in that middle ground and uh, that there's more about your character and things about you that point to God than just what you're wearing. Hmm. And again, this is this is really still kind of the physical aspects of clothing. Mm-hmm. And it's there's more to the conversation, but I think it's a good place to start is the clothes in our wardrobe and the physical intention behind them and realizing that modesty when we're picking out our clothes, you know, there is an objective standard to it. Yeah. 
modesty is an objective standard. In 1947, the designer of the bikini could actually not find a professional model, even in France, which was sort of like the place with the cutting edge fashion and more of the risque of the risque type of fashions. <laughs> so he couldn't even find someone in France to wear his scandalous design. So he actually ended up hiring a stripper to do it. Wow. Yet only 20 years later, his scantily clad creation populates public beaches everywhere. And Christians who refuse to wear it are often considered prudish. Mm. So we kind of have to wonder, like... That wasn't that long ago. What what happened? Yeah. What happened that changed that perspective on it? Well, culture changes. Yeah. And because culture changes, so do the standards. Mm. So standards shift and change with time. And I mean, who knows what could be next? Yeah. That's kind of scary to think about the subjective elements of modesty. And there are some things that are subjective about modesty. Mm-hmm. Um, but thank God that there is an objective standard as well, that his word makes some things clear. Because yes. if if we just continue to culturally go down a subjective, you know, slope of, of wearing less and less and less, like, what, what less can you wear than a bikini? Like, um, toplessness, I guess, would be the next thing. And actually, in all seriousness... On Instagram and social media right now, there's like this whole free the nipple movement. Really? Which is very, yeah, it's very popular. And it's it's not just like uh, trendy, you know, fashion designers and things. It's Instagram influencers that are just like your everyday people, like girls from West Michigan. It could be downtown Grand Rapids. And it's this whole idea that you don't have to wear a bra. And, but it's not just wearing a bra, not wearing a bra. It's like wearing <laughs> wearing shirts that are so thin that you can essentially see their entire breast under like they're basically topless Uh like what's the point of wearing the shirt because you can see their breast because they're not wearing anything to of actual substance to cover Uh uh-huh i mean you could say well that's a little bit better than toplessness but then you have topless beaches and that's you know increasing in popularity so it's uh i would say we're probably not far as a culture from arguing for toplessness because you know men are already topless and so if we're trying to find equality in all things for men and women you know there's the argument from that direction and then there's the argument now that you're getting from moms about how breasts shouldn't be sexualized at all because they're used for nursing and so you know that's just sick and twisted to have to cover up when you're nursing they say because there's nothing sexual about breasts and Uh uh-huh and so we want to kind of strip away any sexual reality of the breast. And then if we did that, well, toplessness would, would – it would fit the narrative of yeah. where our culture is at right now. Yeah. And as we'll see looking at the objective standards of God's word when it comes to modesty, mm-hmm. um, tops and bottoms are both required. Yeah. Because the the basic objective standards are that – God clothes us. Clothing was his idea from the beginning. And it's shameful to be naked. Mm-hmm. That tops and bottoms are both required by scripture. Yeah. After the fall in the garden, modesty was God's idea. 
His standards transcend time and place to apply to all our lives, no matter where we live or what era we live in, including the shame of public nudity and toplessness. In her book, What's Up with the Fig Leaves?, Tiemann explores the biblical basics of modest dress and establishes that modesty is not merely a, a societal norm. Right. Because those are subjective and change. So um, what are the objective standards? Well, I hinted to them. The first is that we wear clothes because God says it's shameful to be naked. God says it is shameful to be naked. Modesty is his idea. He clothed us in the garden. And I do want to make a little disclaimer here Mm -hmm. because, um, you know, you might immediately think, well, wait a second, this is a podcast about like sex and sexuality. And we've been talking about the beauty of um, the marriage bed and nakedness with your spouse. And so then is that shameful? No, because you are one flesh. Mm. Their body is your body. And it is not shameful to see your own body naked. Mm. And so in the marriage covenant, Mm -hmm. nakedness shows that unity of your bodies as Mm. one. So Mm -hmm. that's that's my little disclaimer for anybody who maybe had that uh, thought cross their mind. Amber, would you read us some verses about the shame of nakedness? Absolutely. Isaiah 47, verse 3, we read, Your nakedness will be exposed and your shame uncovered. I will take vengeance. I will spare no one. Lamentations 1, 8. Jerusalem has sinned greatly and so has become unclean. All who honored her despise her, for they have all seen her naked. She herself groans and turns away. Micah 1, 11. Pass by naked and in shame. You will live in Saphir. Those who live in Zanan will come out. Beth Azil is in mourning. It no longer protects you. And Nahum 3.5. I am against you, declares the Lord Almighty. I will lift your skirts over your face. I will show the nations your nakedness and the kingdoms your shame. So very strongly worded correlations between nakedness and shame. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes used figuratively to countries and peoples who were unfaithful to God and were were living in sin. And God um, uses in his word those analogies of the shame that they've brought upon themselves. So some interesting, uh, very strongly worded associations there. Yep. Um, I think another important caveat and reminder, though, if you're listening to this and you're like, well, what about the instances of caregiving? Mm. What about, you know, doctors on a surgical table, you know, and seeing naked bodies? Like, well, is that is that a sin then? And think about those environments, those situations. Surgeons do everything in their power. They do. To respect the human body. Mm-hmm. So you are not actually laying there completely exposed and naked. They cover the part of your body that is not being operated on. They respect it. Mm -hmm. Even 
with your OBGYN, like the person who knows you yeah. very well. You still have that little like robe. thing that you cover yourself up with and only open when they have to do the, yeah. the parts where they're examining your breasts. Or- <laughs> and I can say when I was delivering, I've had so many people tell me like, ah, oh, you won't care who sees what because you're just wanting to get that baby out. But even in my delivery room, I was wearing a robe. I wasn't just sprawled on the table naked. Yeah. There was still a sense of respect. Mm -hmm. And every person who worked with me, every nurse, every doctor treated my body with respect. Yep. And so I think if, you know, you're thinking about the medical field or caregiving situation where you're taking taking care of somebody who is ill and you have to help them bathe or use the restroom, you're doing so in a way that's respectful and covering their body and you know, not unduly exposing it mm-hmm. and not and embarrassing them. Unduly staring at it. Right. Yeah. So there's that honor and respect for um, covering one another's nakedness. And we see this from the beginning that God treated our bodies this way after the fall, that when there was the exposure of our nakedness, and and shame from our sin, God clothed us with those animal skins. And those garments from the very beginning that he crafted have been a symbol throughout scripture of his salvation and his grace. The animal blood was shed in the garden so he could make garments to cover us. And we know Christ's blood was shed so we could be covered in the garments of salvation, in the robes of righteousness that we'll be dressed in, that Revelation speaks about for our wedding day, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Clothing throughout Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, is a symbol of His grace. And I love this quote from John Piper. Amber, we actually read that quote? Because I think for anybody who's maybe a little bit confused about well, you know, are we just trying to conceal our bodies like like there's something bad? Um, I, I love how John Piper phrases this. The chasm between what you are and what you ought to be is huge. Covering yourself with clothing is a right response to this, not to conceal it, but to confess it. Henceforth, you shall wear clothing not to conceal that you are not what you should be but to confess that you are not what you should be. One practical implication of this is that public nudity today is not a return to innocence, but rebellion against moral reality. God ordains clothes to witness to the glory we have lost, and it is added rebellion to throw them off. Mm. So public nudity is not a return to innocence, but a rebellion against moral standards. By wearing clothes, we're admitting that we need God's grace to cover us. Wow, that's actually really beautiful symbolism. It is. So we wear clothes. We should wear clothes. That's objective. But how much clothes? What clothes? Well, Scripture tells us that we need to wear not only bottoms to cover our loins, but also tops. The coverings that God made for Adam and Eve 
were robes, not just loincloths. And it's not just the coverings he made for Adam and Eve. It's any time clothing that God gives throughout scripture. Um, it, it's always a robe. It's always a substantial piece of clothing, a mm-hmm. tunic that covers not just the loins, not just what's different about a man and a woman, um, but also also the tops. And the, the Hebrew words for these, um, quite literally, when Adam and Eve used fig leaves, the Hebrew word for that, it meant loincloth. So it would, have, it would have just covered their genitals. But the Hebrew word, when God clothed them, meant garment, tunic, long shirt, cloak, robe. Huh. And think about the robes of righteousness. It's the same way. So this does bring up kind of the interesting thought. If culturally, you know, we've so accepted men's toplessness, I'm, I, I'm just not sure. I'm not sure. If that is... Like if it actually follows God's objective standard or not. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. I, I, would ha- I, I don't know if there's enough here um, to, you know, strongly condemn where our culture is at uh-huh. with men's toplessness. But I know, I mean, one of the things that my husband has done is like whenever we're at beach parties or pool parties or stuff, he, he'll usually wear a shirt until like it's actually time to swim. Yeah. And that's been a choice of his own just sort of as a it's it's a modest choice that he that he has made as a man, which uh-huh. is it's so rare. You don't think about men choosing to be modest. But it was actually one of the things that I respected about him even in our dating relationship. When he was like in football and in really good shape. <laughs> I was like, "Oh yeah, I I respect that." <laughs> you realize how attractive you are. <laughs> so, So modesty is a thing for men, too. And again, I don't want to come down like with Thor's hammer and say, the word of God from this point on says all men shall wear shirts. But but I think that there's at least enough evidence scripturally for us to question if we're just following a cultural norm and if there's there is a higher biblical standard for men as well. And without a doubt that modesty is also for men. Yeah. So we have talked about the objective standards of modesty. And we're still talking about more of the physical aspects of clothing. Um, But I think it's important to recognize modesty isn't only objective. Yeah. We said that being subjective is scary, and it is if it's only subjective. But I think there's also room for subjective realities in the Uh conversation, especially when you look at culture. Yeah. Yeah, like just because God created Adam and Eve robes, doesn't mean that's the only appropriate type of clothing to wear to be modest. Yes, because we don't wear robes anymore or, t- <laughs> or tunics. Just show up at a party. Hey, how you like my new... I think that would be the opposite end. People would be looking at you thinking you're wearing a potato sack. Um, so it's not wrong to be trendy or culturally aware. In fact, I think it's necessary. Uh, you go to the Middle East and women there need yeah. to have their their hair covered because that's seen as a very sensual thing. Um, obviously, that's not the case in America. And so we have we have cultural sensitivities that are important to recognize. Yeah. We have trends that we follow, certain colors that are in season. Right now, oh, I want a shacket so bad. Do you know what a shacket is? 
No, what in the world is a shacket? They're like they're things everyone's wearing this fall. I have that not are, noticed. Apparently, they're, I'm they're, not paying enough attention to people's clothes. Oh, they're cute. You would look cute in one. They're like really comfy, oversized shirt jackets. So it's like a shacket. It's what it, it's like a shirt, but it's a jacket. Nope, definitely have not noticed them anywhere. <laughs> I'll show you a picture okay. afterwards. Sounds good. So there's things like that which come and go, and they're trends. And uh, if you're if you're trendier like me, <laughs> yeah, no, no one will accuse me of being the trendier one. That's for sure. My wardrobe is eighty percent made up of gifts I've received from people. <laughs> hey, that's cheaper. <laughs> yes, that is true. Um, but you know, we don't, we don't wear swimsuits to a prom. We don't wear wedding dresses to the beach unless you're getting married. Um, there, there are just things that we follow culturally and that's okay. We're not saying that you can't ever look at culture for any cues. Um, but it's not good to follow it blindly. It becomes a slippery slope if the subjective is all that there is. And so you have to look at the subjective standards you're following and always compare them against the objective standard of scripture. Yeah. Use God's word as a guide and recognize that it also isn't all on your shoulders. I think one of the things that the church has done in the past, and one of the reasons why this can be such an uncomfortable conversation, is because we've only made modesty a woman's issue. Yeah. We place the responsibility on women to dress appropriately or to dress modestly so that it doesn't cause a man to look at her with lust. When the reality is a man could lust after you, even when you're wearing a potato sack. Yep. And so it's not an either or. It's a both and. Mm -hmm. It's mutual responsibility. We should dress in a way. That honors our brother. We should dress in a way that helps the other with their spiritual battles and temptations. But they are also responsible to fight the good fight of faith. Mm -hmm. Not to lust. Yep. To look at us respectfully. Yeah. It is man's responsibility to respect a woman. And a woman's responsibility to be respectable. It's it's both and. Yeah. And... and you know, men in general, because it's not like every, not every woman out there is convicted to follow a biblical standard for modesty. And so men do have to learn to guard their hearts, to guard their eyes, and to to not lust. Because yeah. they're going to be around women who don't dress modestly because they don't have a, a standard upon which to yeah. even have that kind of framework. Or they're, yeah, they're new Christians. But as, yeah, or they're new, yes. And it's just in the process of sanctification that yep. you begin to care about God's heart on these topics. Yep, yep. And so as Christian women who do have that conviction, who are at that point in their in their faith journey to have that conviction, it's like we're, we're lending a helping hand. Yeah. Or being like, I realize this is something that you, you really have had to just master, to live in this world. Well, let me help you. Yeah. Let me not put a stumbling block mm -hmm. or be someone that you have to intentionally right. <laughs> right. not look upon that way. <laughs> because it's a hard battle. And like you said, the rest of the 
the world isn't isn't being helpful. <laughs> yeah. And um, I thank you for that caveat because we've, as a church in the past, in the conversation on modesty, only interpreted the weaker brother as being the man who lusts. And I'm talking about the verse in Romans that talks about not being a stumbling block. Mm. And so we assume that, well, that means that um, I need to help, you know, my my weaker brother who is obviously the man who's so he doesn't lust. But like you said, sometimes the weaker brother can actually be the weaker sister, mm-hmm. like the girl who doesn't know any better or isn't at a point in her relationship with God where she cares. Yep. Or about she's experienced conviction on that matter. Exactly. Because sanctification is a process. And in that case, it is the brother who has to be the one mm-hmm. to put in the um, extra work. Yes. Of respecting and not lusting. And so it is a, it's a both and it's mutual responsibility as brothers and sisters in Christ. And can I just say, it's really naive to make this just a women's issue anyway, because we're completely ignoring the realities. In fact, it's kind of sexist because we're completely uh, ignoring the realities of same-sex attraction. Oh, that's very, very true. When we just say, well, it's about, you know, girls having to be modest and boys not lusting. Same-sex attraction changes that entire conversation to being just brothers and sisters in Christ who are all helping one another. Mm-hmm. This isn't the guys versus the girls. This isn't the feminists versus the patriarchy like our world likes to make it. These are men and women of faith fighting the good fight together. Mm. And if you're a Christian, you're you're going to believe in that kind of mutual responsibility that we want what's best for each other. And I think that's what it means to have your heart be in the right place when it comes to modesty. Because lust is two-sided. It's not just about the person lusting. It's also about the attention that, you know, if, immodest dress like feeds lust in the person who's dressing immodestly. And what do I mean by that? Well, attention elicits excitement, Mm. even arousal in women. It it can be very arousing to be seen as beautiful. Yep. It's very true. And this isn't a sin. Wanting to be seen beautiful isn't a sin. But dressing immodestly To get the attention is. I'm going to repeat that. Women wanting to be seen beautiful isn't a sin. Mm. But dressing immodestly in order to gain the attention Mm -hmm. that you're wanting, that is a sin. How do I know it? Well, Matthew 5, 27 to 28 tells us that adultery isn't just an act. It's something that can take place in your heart that whenever a man looks at a woman to lust for her. They've already committed adultery in their heart. The Westminster Catechism acknowledges that this isn't only true for the man who's doing the lusting, but also the woman who is wanting to be lusted after. It has to do with with the motive of your heart, right? Mm -hmm. And so again, 
wanting to be beautiful, wanting to be seen as beautiful is a God-given part of our sex drive. And that's not wrong. But when you begin to manipulate others' emotions by the things that you wear, by the way you present yourself, by your body language, to elicit attention of somebody who isn't your husband, Mm -hmm. who's maybe even someone else's husband, who's someone else's future husband, that is when it, it starts to become a sin. And I, I love um, pointing out in the verse that everyone uses to talk about beauty. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Mm-hmm. I love pointing out those first three words. Charm is deceptive. Because we skip over that. We talk about beauty being fleeting. Uh-huh. We focus a lot on the beauty part. But charm is deceptive. What does that mean? And what does that mean for a woman? Because it's in the passage for the Proverbs 31 woman. There's something for us to learn there. Mm-hmm. Charms are the power or quality of giving delight or arousing admiration. Again, there is this God-given desire to want to be loved, to want to be seen as beautiful, and that's not bad. But when we begin to manipulate a situation or manipulate someone's heart mm-hmm. with our charms, with the things that we can do to arouse attention. Yep. That's deceptive. Yep. That's a lie. We're making advances that are not appropriate outside of marriage. We are trying to get attention or elicit the the love of somebody who's heart we're not planning to protect or keep. Mm-hmm. And that's where it becomes really destructive. It becomes deceptive. And immodest clothes become a problem because what is your intention behind what you're wearing? And modesty, it actually recognizes the body as good and beautiful. It's not like we're dressing in a modest way because we're trying to hide something that we think is bad or dirty or repugnant, but we're guarding. We're treasuring Mm, something that we know is beautiful. Like in Song of Solomon 4, verse 12, it says, A garden enclosed is my sister, my spouse, a sprint shut up, a fountain sealed. We don't dress modestly because we're shy or because we think we're ugly, but we dress modestly because we recognize that beauty, it's worth treasuring. And the modest woman, she's content without without all the external validation. So she doesn't need people to fawn over her body, to look at her body in a certain way based on how she's dressing. She's confident in who she is in Christ and anticipates the day that her beauty will be treasured by one man, that man being her husband. We've seemed to become so obsessed and preoccupied with beauty that we're trying to prove our worth instead of accepting and knowing our innate value with full confidence in who we are in Christ. Yeah, that's so good. And that's what it goes back to. Right at, at the very beginning, one of the first things we talked about was how clothing reminds us of our need for Christ mm-hmm. to be covered by 
his robes of righteousness and salvation. Yeah. And that's a theme throughout scripture. And and that's part of our new identity, right? Mm. And so why would we want to throw that off? Like why like that's an honor to be clothed in in that grace. And so to live in a way that recognizes how valuable we are, that God says that we are valuable and that we're loved. And to not only desire then to, to honor God with our bodies, to honor our bodies, but to honor others as well, to honor their bodies as well. Mm-hmm. And so this becomes our motivation to dress modestly for the sake of the other, to not lust after the other, to realize that each body has innate value. Mm-hmm. It's worthy of respect. Yes. And that comes down to the clothes we wear, the way that we look at people, this conversation on modesty and on lust. And it's it's really our biblical mandate to love God and to love others. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the ways we can love our brothers and our sisters well mm-hmm. by dressing modestly. And so while it is a physical intention, while it has a lot to do with clothes, it's an emotional intention of our hearts. Yep. It reflects our hearts. I'd like to end with Isaiah 61.10. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest. And as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Isaiah 61.10 We represent Christ with what we wear. People should know that we're Christians by what they see. And every morning when we get dressed, we can remind ourselves to invite God into our wardrobe because clothing was his idea and we need clothing just like we need Christ. Give God your whole self, even your wardrobe. If you're looking for more ways to get plugged in with our resources here at Across My Heart Ministries, you can visit us online at acrossmyheartministries.com where we have hundreds of blogs on the topics of purity and sexuality beauty, modesty, relationships, identity. (laughs) Read about all these topics we talk about on the podcast. Follow us on social media, Facebook and Instagram. We also have a YouTube channel where we've done a few different online Bible studies throughout the years. We have those resources there. We're located in West Michigan and frequently take speaking engagements as well as planning conferences for women and youth. But hey, we'd be willing to travel. So send your inquiries our way. And we'd love to come and speak and share God's heart for you. What a Christian sexual ethic really looks like. And how it's all about knowing and being known. So until next week, know and be known.